Welcome to Peed Soup. I'm your host, Jim McCarthy, and on this episode, we're going to talk urinary tract infections. The CDC estimates that by age 7, 8% of girls and 2% of boys will have had at least one UTI, which adds up to a lot of kids. When you take into account that untreated UTIs can lead to scarring and renal damage, it's definitely a topic worth knowing. So let's start working our way through presentation, diagnosis, and management. Like with most things in pediatrics, there's a common thread for treatment and management, but the details change based on the age of the patient. The most recent UTI guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics came out in 2011. Then in 2016, they reviewed the new data that had come out and published an update that more or less said we're still right. The problem is those guidelines only cover a fairly narrow range of kids. Kids between 2 and 24 months old who don't have any obvious neurologic or anatomical abnormalities that would be associated with UTIs or renal damage. That makes sense because that's the age range that's trickiest. Younger than two months gets more aggressive treatment for most things, and older than two years is usually a little more relaxed. We'll still discuss what to do for kids before and after that age range, and this is a good jumping off point for the more complicated patients. This guideline is just the most well-sourced I could find while I was prepping this episode. Presenting symptoms that should make you suspicious for a UTI get more specific as the patient gets older. Infants under two months will be febrile, with poor feeding, and maybe a lower level of activity or more fussiness than usual, just like with any other infection. That's why just about every pediatrician will check urine on a febrile baby who's under two months old. Patients that are older than two, especially once they're verbal, might tell you about abdominal pain or back pain in addition to the classic urinary frequency and discomfort. Between two months and two years, the AAP recommends making your decision based on how sick the kid looks. If she's febrile and obviously needs to start antibiotics for something, you should get a urine sample before giving the first dose. If she looks stable enough to not need immediate therapy, you can take your time and think about how likely it is she actually has a UTI. For kids between 2 and 24 months who have a fever without an obvious source, the overall prevalence of urinary tract infections is about 5%, which of course breaks down further based on who your patient is. Girls are twice as likely as boys to have a UTI, and uncircumcised boys are anywhere from 4 to 20 times as likely as the ones who are circumcised. The authors of the guideline tried to put together all the risk factors and epidemiologic data to help make a decision tool for providers, and this is where they landed. For girls, risk factors for UTI are white race, age less than 12 months, fever for 2 days or more, a fever of 102.2 or higher, and the absence of another source of infection. If zero or one of those describe your patient, the risk of a UTI is probably at most 1%. With two or fewer risk factors, it's 2% or less. Beyond that, they don't specify, aside from it being more than a 2% risk of a UTI. For boys, the risk factors are similar, but just different enough to confuse you. The temperature of 102.2 or higher and no other source of infection are the same, but the duration of fever is anything over 24 hours, and anyone who's not African American is at a higher risk. If the patient is circumcised, two risk factors or fewer goes with a 1% or lower risk, and three or fewer is 2% or less. Uncircumcised boys always have at least a 2% risk of a UTI, and it's higher than that if there are any risk factors present. The AAP doesn't really make a strong recommendation about what risk of UTI should be your threshold for doing further testing, but based on surveys, they found that most providers would pull the trigger somewhere around 1% or 2%, so that's what they tailored their risk factors to find. If you're worried enough about a urinary tract infection, you're going to need some urine. The best way to collect a sample is pretty consistent across the age groups. The definitive, almost sure to be valid sample is a catheterized specimen. 
Suprapubic aspiration is actually considered the gold standard, but most people think that sticking a needle through the skin into the bladder is too invasive, and it's usually only done if there's an anatomic reason not to do a cath, like labial adhesions or phimosis. Catheterized urine has about 95% sensitivity and 99% specificity compared to suprapubic aspiration, so it's not like there's a big drop-off in quality. Getting a cath sample is the best way to go if your patient is sick enough to warrant starting antibiotics right away. The next best urine sample is a midstream or clean catch. The idea is that the first little bit of urine clears out the urethral bacteria, because for a UTI we only care about what's in the bladder. That's in contrast to the first void urine samples we talked about in the sexually transmitted infection episode, because there we were interested in what's in the urethra. Obviously in pediatrics you're only going to have so many patients who can actually give you a midstream sample, but it's a non-invasive option for your older patients. At the bottom of the ladder for urine collection is a perineal bag. If you haven't seen one, it's exactly what it sounds like. A plastic bag that has some adhesive around the opening that you put over the baby's perineum to collect urine. Completely anecdotally, I've seen this used more in places that aren't pediatric oriented. The reasons it isn't the best quality sample are pretty clear. You're going to get a lot of skin and urethral flora, the urine will probably be mixed with sweat, and there's a decent chance there's going to be some poop in there at some point. The AAP says that for kids between 2 and 24 months who don't need immediate antibiotics, a bag is an option for urinalysis, but the culture results are only valid if they're negative. Nothing at all grows because of the high risk and contamination. If the UA is positive for anything to suggest a UTI, you'll need a cath sample. So to recap, a catheterized sample is the most reliable option and should be your first choice for anyone who has signs of a severe infection or is under two months old. Midstream samples are a decent alternative for kids who are old enough to give one correctly, but do have a little lower sensitivity and specificity. Perineal bags are really only reserved for younger kids who seem to be at low risk because unless all the tests are pristine, you'll probably still need a cath to be sure. Once you have a urine sample, diagnosing a UTI depends on the results of the urinalysis and the culture. What you're looking for are both pyuria, inflammatory cells in the urine, and bacteriuria, bacteria in the sample. Pyuria without bacteriuria is really nonspecific and doesn't have to be the result of an infection. Well, bacteriuria without pyuria could be contamination or just asymptomatic bacteriuria, neither of which really requires treatment. The urinalysis has both a chemical assay and a microscopic examination to look for pyuria and bacteriuria. Leukocyte esterase is an enzyme produced by white blood cells that's a chemical marker for pyuria and is usually pretty reliable, at least for sensitivity. And the microscopic part of the evaluation just looks for how many white blood cells are present in the sample. Interpreting signs of pyuria is pretty similar for all ages. Positive leukocyte esterase, or 10 or more white cells per high power field, is usually reliable enough to call pyuria. Bacteriuria on the urinalysis also has a chemical and microscopic test. The microscopy part is obvious, you're looking for bacteria floating in the urine, but the chemical part is more interesting. Certain gram-negative bacteria produce nitrites as part of their metabolism, which the urinalysis picks up if it's present. It's not always reliable for two reasons. One, only certain bacteria produce nitrites, and two, bacteria need to be in the urine for around four hours to produce a detectable concentration of nitrite, which is not the best for babies. The younger they are, the more often infants pee. If their bladder is full at all, something is coming out, so absent nitrites aren't very helpful for making a decision. On the other hand, if it's present, it's usually a pretty good indicator, somewhere over 90% specificity. 
Luckily, we have urine cultures to give us definitive information about how much and what kind of bacteria are in the urine. When you're interpreting the results of urine testing, again, you're looking for both pyuria and bacteriuria along with the patient's clinical appearance. For babies under two months or anyone whose symptoms are severe enough to warrant treatment right away, you should start treatment and follow up on the cultures. For the ones who are older or not as sick, you can often hold off on treatment until you have some information back. With kids between 2 and 24 months, the AAP says diagnosing a UTI requires urinalysis results with bacteriuria or pyuria and a urine culture with at least 50,000 colony-forming units of a known uropathogen. The reason that colony count is lower than the 100,000 you might have learned for adults is that colony counts are influenced by how long the urine sits in the bladder, and again, little kids pee a lot. The thinking and the guidelines is that while the lower colony count has the potential for more false positives, requiring a positive urinalysis to make the diagnosis will help filter some of them out. For kids older than two, there aren't a lot of firm guidelines. If the patient has pyuria but no bacteria and is otherwise well, you can probably wait on the culture results before making a decision to treat. If there's only bacteriuria on a cath or a reliable clean catch and the patient is symptomatic, you might lean more toward treating. The fact that your patient might actually be able to tell you what they're feeling is really helpful in this age group. A systematic review published in JAMA in 2007 found that if a patient two years old or older had urinary or abdominal symptoms and the dipstick was positive for both nitrite and leukocyte esterase, urine culture was positive around 90% of the time. What's considered a positive culture also has some variability. If the patient has urinary symptoms and signs of pyuria, 50,000 or more colony-forming units is still the cutoff for a cath sample, but for a clean catch, it's 100,000, just like in adults. That 100,000 threshold is based on adult studies that go all the way back to 1956. For that study, researchers collected urine samples first thing in the morning from women who were asymptomatic and who had clinical signs of a UTI or pyelonephritis. They charted the colony counts on a power of 10 scale and when they went from 10,000 to 100,000 CFUs, they found most of the women were symptomatic. And that's the whole study that made 100,000 the cutoff for diagnosing a UTI by culture. Back in the 50s, the fruit was hanging a lot lower when it came to medical research. For kids, there are ongoing studies to see if colony counts under 50,000 are valid, but there aren't results to change anybody's practice yet. When it comes to treating a UTI, there are a few things to consider. For patients whose symptoms are mild or if you're not quite confident calling a UTI without the culture, again, you can wait for results and let the sensitivity information be your guide. Empiric treatment depends on who your patient is and where you practice. Obviously, if your patient is under two months, you start by treating with the standard antibiotics for neonatal sepsis, ampicillin and cefotaxime, or ampicillin and gentamicin, then adjust based on urine culture. The same goes for older patients who look particularly sick. Start with something IV that covers the common uropathogens and adjust based on cultures and clinical course. For older patients who aren't close to sepsis, both in the AAP guideline range and older, the biggest factor in deciding between oral and IV antibiotics is whether or not you think the patient will be able to take them. In 1999, Pediatrics published a study that compared 14 days of oral cefixime to a regimen that started with 3 days of IV cefotaxime, then switched to oral cefixime to complete 14 days of treatment. They enrolled 306 kids between 1 and 24 months old who were diagnosed with UTIs and tracked them both during their initial infection and after treatment was completed. All the patients in the study had sterile urine within 24 hours 
and the average time to defervescence was 25 hours for oral antibiotics and 24 hours in the group that started with IV therapy. For long-term follow-up, there was no significant difference in the rate of symptomatic reinfection or renal scarring. The biggest difference between the two groups was cost. Starting with IV therapy cost about twice as much as taking the full course orally. If your patient is sick enough to need IV antibiotics, you should absolutely use them. But for kids older than two months, the evidence says you can feel pretty good about oral therapy if they look well enough. Regardless of the route, you should pick an antibiotic based on the resistance patterns in your area. How long to treat a UTI is another complicated topic. The AAP recommends 7 to 14 days of treatment for febrile UTIs in patients between 2 and 24 months, especially because younger kids are more likely to have upper tract involvement. There's a phase 2 trial in Pennsylvania that's looking at the efficacy of a 5-day course, but there aren't any results yet. 7 to 14 days is also generally recommended for infants under 2 months old, and they often end up getting all of their doses intravenously. In older kids, the data is all over the place. A 2012 Cochrane review found that 10 days of treatment was more likely than single-dose therapy to eliminate bacteria from the urine, but that actually seems pretty obvious. In 2001, a meta-analysis published by Danielle Tran, Diane Muchent, and Stephen Aronoff found that 3 days of Bactrim was as effective as 5 or more days of treatment. But Ron Karen and Eugenia Chan published their own meta-analysis in 2002 that found fewer treatment failures with courses 5 days or longer. Most doctors seem to come down on a 5-day treatment course for first-time, uncomplicated infections, and then lean towards the 7-14 to 14 day range for complicated or recurrent UTIs. The last thing to mention here is imaging of the urinary tract. The older your patient is, the less likely they are to need imaging, but the idea is that younger kids with febrile UTIs are more likely to have anatomical abnormalities that can set them up for recurrent infections and scarring in the urinary tract. For kids between 2 and 24 months, the AAP recommends an ultrasound of the kidneys and the bladder after the first febrile UTI. You should do an ultrasound early on to look for signs of abscess or other complications if your patient isn't improving, but you should wait until things have calmed down to get a good assessment of the anatomy. Infections can cause edema and inflammation that distort the imaging results, and there's some data from animal studies that E. coli actually produces a toxin that causes dilation of the ureters that can be mistaken for hydronephrosis. If the ultrasound is abnormal, the recommendation is to do avoiding cystourethrogram, which you've probably heard of as a VCUG, to look for reflux from the bladder back into the ureters. Patients with urinary reflux are at risk for renal damage if they get recurrent UTIs, so a referral to urology for correction might be worthwhile if there's high-grade reflux. The imaging evaluation is similar for babies under 2 months. Start with an ultrasound and follow up with a VCUG if it's abnormal. And that's all for UTIs. Remember, symptoms get more specific the older your patient is, and that you're never wrong to check a urine sample as long as you know how to interpret it. To be confident diagnosing UTI, you're looking for both inflammation and bacteria. Treatment should be based on local resistance patterns, and for kids under 2, it's usually a 7-14 to 14 day course. If the patient doesn't look too sick, doing the entire course orally is probably going to get the job done with a whole lot lower cost for your patients. Finally, for patients under 2, be sure to get an ultrasound of both the kidneys and the bladder after the first febrile UTI before you jump to VCUG or other imaging that involves radiation. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please give us a rating on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever else you found us. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us directly at pedsoup, that's P-E-D-S-S-O-U-P, at gmail.com.
I'm Jim McCarthy, and we'll be back next time with more Peed Soup.